Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Here on March 17th, so-called St. Patrick's Day, there are a great many restaurants and bars and bars and grills and you name it, across the United States of America that are shut down courtesy of the federal government and the state governments and the municipal governments. They've all gotten in the act. And restaurateurs and such are feeling the brunt of that. And it's ironic on a day that was fashioned to honor Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, but which has come to be identified with eating, drinking, and being merry, revelry, and what have you, that this should be the case. But here on March 17th, there are bigger fish to fry, you could say, namely in the form of the Democrat presidential primaries. That being said, Mike DeWine, governor of Ohio, saw fit to forestay the Democrat primaries in Ohio, hold them off, postpone them, delay them. And it's funny, he ran into a court challenge, and the judge sided with the challenge to this, but nonetheless, it was then a workaround put into effect by Mike DeWine to declare it a health emergency, and so the Democrat primaries in the very significant political stronghold of Ohio has been delayed until sometime in the future apparently to be in June. The thinking is June 2nd. But So those are 136 delegates that will not be decided this day, this night, the following day. But that still leaves 441 delegates to be doled out. Those 219 from Florida... 155 from Illinois, and 67 from Arizona. As for when the Georgia primary is going to take place, I don't know, because I had seen that it had been moved, relocated, if you will, in terms of date, from March 24th to May 19th. But then, last time I looked the other day, I saw that there was no sign of it on May 19th, and apparently it was back on March 24th. But now, following this development with Ohio, I can't help but wonder if they're going to move it again. But the excitement is great. Who are the candidates that are on the ballots? Joseph. Oh, Biden, Joe, Veep, Obama, 
Biden, oh Biden, for Patrick's Day. I don't say St. Patrick's because all who are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ are saints and not just those that are designated as VIPs by the Roman Catholic institution. But Joe Biden and Bernie Alinsky Sanders, Bernie Marxist Sanders, and then Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard is still on the ballots, folks. By all means, vote for Tulsi. (laughs) Why not? Instead of Bernie, vote for Tulsi. But in any case, we will know the developments before very much longer. They will have the exciting details. Now, the Democrat Party, the overwhelming majority of the Democrat Party, no, not the so-called Democrat faithful, you know, the constituents, but the party, the leaders, the movers, the shakers, the office holders of the Democrat Party, they have overwhelmingly circled their wagons around Joe Biden to be the standard bearer, believing that he has a much stronger chance of defeating the incumbent president, Donald Trump Sr. But, should be fascinating, Bernie Sanders should have core support in that great state, Illinois. Why is that? Well, because of Saul Alinsky, because of Barack Hussein Obama, because of many, many socialist organizers, even including dear Hillary Rodham Clinton back when she was in high school and involved with a leftist, libertine, liberation theology, youth pastor and youth group at a Methodist church of sorts. Social activism, leftist, socialist activism. And then the likes of Jesse, Jesse Jackson, Jesse Jackson, senior Jesse Jackson, Jr. I don't know if Jesse Jackson, Jr. is still in prison, but the Jacksons. (laughs) And also uh, Jesse's daughter, who had problems of the same sort. But it just it runs deep there in Illinois. The Democrat Party machines of the Mayor Dailies and great deal of this socialist bent, but extreme socialist, not just the run-of-the-mill garden variety socialism of the Democrat Party as a whole, but the more fervent, zealous version of socialism of Bernie Sanders et al. So he should have a strong base of support there, but nonetheless, 
Joe Biden could come through here with three resounding victories and a great many more delegates to add to those he has. Last I saw, he had something like 858, 868, <laughs> if I mistook the the six for a five, but I believe it was a five. I believe it was 858. So if he were to capture, oh, I don't know, let's say 400 delegates. Nah, that's a bit too much. Let's say instead of that, just 300 and 42 to go with 858, right? <laughs> uh, that would be enough. That would be enough to bring him to 1,000. He would still be 991 delegates short of having enough to take the nomination. So this thing has a ways to go, but exciting nonetheless. And perhaps, emphasis on perhaps, perhaps Georgia in a week. And then perhaps Puerto Rico five days later. And it should be very exciting. Interestingly enough, these particular primaries, there are no candidates to be found. No candidates, none. Pressing the flesh. Kissing the babies. Joe Biden putting his forehead, resting his forehead against the foreheads of various women whom he is having... uh, connection with, you know, thinking deeply. But none of that. No. The first presidential primary in these modern-day brave new world times of pandemic. It's just, you could say it's virtual campaigning. No polling, no canvassing, no candidates, no campaigning. Very different, very unusual, almost like something you might expect from, oh, I don't know, maybe a Russian Federation. Speaking of the Russian Federation, their great and greatly esteemed leader, Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putinsky here, former KGB agent, and then... KGB number two, and then KGB top dog, and then the deputy to Boris Yeltsin, and he has been the strongman de facto dictator for life ever since. He has now, after having graciously, magnanimously approved, given his personal approval to this change in the Constitution of Russia, of the Russian Federation, that would permit him to reset his terms for president so that he could grant the Russian people the opportunity to vote for him 
again and again and to remain head man there through 2036. It's so reminiscent of William Jefferson Clinton. William Jefferson Clinton, Bill Clinton, he famously stated, and I'm paraphrasing, don't have the wording directly in front of me, but he famously stated that he believed the American people should be granted the right to vote for him again. This was years ago now. To vote for him to be able to be president for a third term. A little bit of a disagreement there, you know, with the way things are. But, hey, if it was good enough for FDR, why not good enough for Bill Clinton? Well, apparently Vladimir Putin feels the same way, so to speak. So he approved, he personally approved of these changes, and that was, you know, a few days ago. He signed this measure on Saturday. And it went through, shockingly enough, it went through the Russian parliament, only one vote against it. Now, I can't help but wonder what's going to happen to that person, the one that voted against it. I wonder if that person will ever be heard from again. I can't help but wonder if that person hasn't already been sent to a gulag, you know, or a psychiatric prison, something like that. But, or perhaps just will have an accident, something happen, tragically. But, uh, Meanwhile, now, as of today, Vladimir Putin has announced a nationwide vote to be held on these constitutional amendments to take place on April 22nd. Why? Is this a grandstanding instance of leadership and chutzpah and whatever on Vladimir Putin's part. No, it's required. It's required, but he's fast-tracking it. April 22nd, and this is despite the spread of the coronavirus. That's right, the coronavirus, COVID-19, spreading across parts of Russia as well. But this is subject to what he referred to as the epidemiological situation. (laughs) So in other words, if things get really, really bad, they could delay it a bit. Meanwhile, the European Union, the EU, there's something taking place there by cooperation among the leaders. It's not something in terms of out-and-out law. No, nothing like that, but instead just cooperative agreement. This was following 
a teleconference between leaders of the European Union. And it is closing of all external borders to third nations. Third nations. I don't get what third nations are. Are those third world nations? But closing the external borders of the European Union to nations outside of the European Union. Interestingly enough, the UK, the United Kingdom, is exempted because even though the UK has officially (laughs) chosen to separate, it still has a very special relationship. So, (laughs) but anyway, this is going to go into effect immediately. And it will remain in effect for a month, for 30 days. And it's something that was just announced. It's very exciting. It doesn't have the power of law, per se. National leaders do not have to abide by this. The leaders of the nation states of the European Union do not have to abide by this. But it's a gentleman's, gentle ladies agreement. And so it is expected to be upheld. And we will see what comes of it, what happens. But meanwhile, in the United Kingdom, that great, great, great Britain. Yes, Hashem Abedi, the younger brother of Salman Abedi who committed Islamist terror attack at the Ariana Grande concert at the arena in Manchester, England, outdoors in 2017 that resulted in the murder of 22 people, attempted murder of one person. How did they arrive at that? I mean, the intention was to slaughter even more than that. But that is what it comes down to. 22 died, one gravely wounded. And so the younger brother, Hashem Abedi, the younger brother of the bomber, so-called suicide bomber, Islamist Salman Abedi, his younger brother, co-conspirator, directly involved, has been found guilty of murder on 22 counts, as well as one count of attempted murder, and one count of conspiring with his brother to cause these explosions. Meanwhile, Hashem. Hashem was actually in Libya at the time of the explosions. But he was intimately communicating with his brother in the planning and carrying out of this. The Abadi family, interestingly enough, 
emigrated to Britain during the 1990s. They left Libya, which was under the dictatorship of Muammar Gaddafi. Well, Dear Hashem was born in Manchester. And the father of this clan returned to Libya after Gaddafi was taken down in 2011. Wonderful family repaying Britain for its kindness to them by attempting to slaughter as many innocent people as possible. Islam is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Oh, but it's a religion of peace. (laughs) Yes, more of a religion of pieces of those blown up. Meanwhile, two conflicting matters. There actually are more, but I will narrow it down to two. One being questions being raised by some people, such as husband and wife economists Jason Shogren and Linda Thunstrom. She at the University of Wyoming. He is a fellow economist, and he studies how much Americans are willing to pay to reduce the risks of threats like terrorism and so forth, but climate change and what have you. But they have questioned whether what's going on relative to the coronavirus, COVID-19, constitutes overreaction. No, they are not saying that it is some sort of, you know, plot or something like that. No. But they're just questioning, is this the best way to respond, to react, to address something like this by this overwhelming, overpowering governmental approach? They're not questioning the matter of it being described as being a pandemic, but rather the governmental intervention to the extent that is taking place. Whether that is really the best option, whether it is an overreaction. Meanwhile, in the UK and in the halls of power in Washington, D.C., such as in the White House, There are conflicting ideas, and they are based, they are rooted in the work not of economists, but rather a group that released its findings. This group from the Imperial College, it is known as the Imperial College COVID-19 Response Team headed up by Neil Ferguson. And it has forecast what can be expected in terms of numbers of people infected and numbers 
of fatalities, mortality rate. And they have forecast an extremely dark, virulent outcome, extremely much so. Now, really worst case scenario. And they have published this. It has made its way to the leaders of the UK and the USA. And it has had great impact on the decision making of the leaders of Boris Johnson and his government in the UK, of Donald Trump Sr. and his government here in the United States of America, his administration and Congress, and so forth. But, again, extreme, extreme worst-case scenario, which does not seem to be borne out by what has taken place in communist China, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, what they are forecasting, what they are predicting, is so much graver, so much more extreme than what has been experienced thus far in the hardest-hit areas, such as Wuhan in Hubei province, communist China. And they are predicting that everything must be shut down by government order for, oh, you know, one year to one and a half years. I think they've been maybe, I can't help but think maybe they've been too heavily influenced by various movies that they've seen. It has that feel to it, really, in terms of the numbers of deaths that they're talking about. Last I saw, last I heard, last I read, not one young child had died from this. Elderly people, yes. Elderly people with severe pre-existing conditions, yes. Older people who are not extremely elderly, but older nonetheless, with pre-existing conditions that were serious, yes. But they're predicting a much more sweeping and much more virulent outcome than has been seen anywhere. And governments are reacting to that in a very reactive way. But America's restaurants, America's hospitality industry, in severe trouble, absent assistance from the government, from the federal government, from the state governments, from the city governments, who are shutting them down and denying them a livelihood. Really a severe problem. And of course, for American Airlines, I hesitate to say American Airlines because the airlines around the world for the most part, unless they are really a national airline limited to the nation, 
they are more of an international kind of a, an entity. I mean, even a, a great airline like El Al has an enormous amount of its roots are international. And certainly true with Delta and United and American Airlines and so forth. So I don't think of them as strictly American. <laughs> they themselves do not consider them strictly American. They consider themselves, you know, citizens of the world, international, but in severe trouble, along with the cruise lines. If they do not receive great assistance, courtesy of the federal government, which is really courtesy of the United States taxpayers. And this holds true in the UK. This holds true in the European Union. This holds true in Scandinavia and Israel and around the world. Before I go further, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. That's on me. That is my fault. Well, these stringent measures that have been rolled out here in the United States of America so recently, so very recently, they have rolled like a tidal wave across this nation so that I don't know where they're not being enacted. I know they're being enacted where I am, and it hasn't, where I am has not been in the news at all in any way, shape, or form. But meanwhile, while the restaurants, the bars, the hotels, the motels, the airlines, the cruise lines, and those who supply them, are in dire straits. It has been predicted that without government intervention, many airlines will begin going bankrupt very soon because they have already been struggling now for some time with lack of demand, as is true with the cruise lines. And now it has been exacerbated many-fold. But there is one company that is thriving, flourishing, Amazon. Amazon is hiring 100,000 workers to work in its warehouses and also as delivery workers to meet the surging demand online. Not only Amazon. But some major supermarket chains are also looking to add to their staffs to fulfill online orders and also for very particularly busy areas of their businesses. Walmart, Costco, and others, again, are actually in a position of 
hiring people, gearing up for this, for greater demand. It's ironic, really. I mean, Amazon, the richest of the rich. I don't mean the Amazon employees, but the owners of Amazon. They're just going to get richer. Meanwhile, President Trump's administration has gone from refusal, denial, trivialization, all of that, to front and center, demanding all of the attention, taking all of the oxygen out of the room, focusing all (laughs) public attention on themselves, on the leader, on the president. He is sharing the stage graciously with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. And to some extent, to a much lesser extent with Larry Kudlow, National Economic Council Director. But yes, that's not to say that there are no others, no politicians getting in the mix. They are. But there is a major, massive economic stimulus bill that I've referred to previously. There's not just one. There are multiple ones. You know, there's there's the one being hashed out by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in concert with Stephen Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary. But then there's also a much more extreme, if you will, bill, program being put together there by the president and his team Trump. And, of course, there was previously a bill that was passed that was for a reported $7.8 million, but it actually included another half, did I say billion, did I say billion or million? Anyway, $7.8 billion with a B, and it actually included another half billion, $500 million. So the true amount of budget for that was $8.3 billion. But uh, Chucky Schumer had wanted eight and a half billion, and lo and behold, behold, they got eight point three. But then there are these other plans, you know, for one hundred billion, and then the big Kahuna plan, which is now at eight hundred and fifty billion. So, you know, shy of a trillion. We'll see how things go. I mentioned a couple programs ago about former presidential candidate, Republican senator from Utah, Mitt Marriott Romney, who, among his various suggestions that he was working on with his Senate staff, He was calling for all American adults to receive checks from the government in the amount of $1,000, $1,000 each for each American adult. I don't know what constitutes an American adult, do you? I mean, really, 
<laughs> not being facetious here. What constitutes an American adult? Are we saying 18-year-olds or 21-year-olds and up? Which is it? <laughs> Teenagers, you know, 18, 19, 20? Or does it start at 21? Well, it's going to depend on <laughs> which party decides about this, you know. But we shall see. It shall be exciting. But Mitt was calling on these payments of $1,000 per. And for Americans. But what about people here with green cards? What about undocumented workers? You know, I mean, if the Democrat Party's in charge of this, you bet. It's going to be all of them, isn't it? And that will only increase the cost of this to the tune of well, a lot, you know. But anyway, they can afford to be generous with other people's money. Always find it fascinating, these uh, mega, 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 mega millionaires and billionaires who start foundations, charitable foundations. And they put in a little bitty bit. And meanwhile, they get everybody and their brother to contribute to them. <laughs> and, uh, oh, so charitable with other people's money. But in any case, Mitt Romney was the poobah who recommended this. Well, lo and behold, even though it's coming from Mitt, it is going to be enacted in some way, shape, or form. It's going to be enacted. There now, as of today, is bipartisan support for this. In addition to receiving support from the president himself. So, with the White House stating that the amount may be more than that, more than what Romney had called for, more than $1,000 each. And I've seen varying amounts listed and we will see what it actually works out to. But the president wants these checks to be distributed in the next two weeks. Whether they will all be mailed or whether there will be direct deposit to bank accounts of people who have filed tax returns previously and received tax refunds by direct deposit, Remains to be seen. As far as the actual machinery, the way that it happens, the way that it's done, remains to be seen. But expect that to be happening by the first week of April or sooner. But meanwhile, the United States Treasury Department, the IRS, Internal Revenue Service. They are going to postpone, if you will, delay the actual tax deadline, tax filing deadline, tax payment deadline by three months. And this is all part of the coronavirus response from 
the federal government via the president's leadership. So those of us who file tax returns, we who have not yet filed, (laughs) we have an extra 90 days to do so. And uh, this is for individual income tax filers who file up to, (laughs) who file returns on up to $1 million in tax owed. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of steep territory, kind of nosebleed territory there. Well, this pertains to small businesses and, of course, the very, very wealthy people, individuals. But this pertains, in more cases, to small businesses. That sort of thing. Family businesses, small businesses, and what have you. And corporations, they also will have the same amount of time on up to $10 million in taxes owed. And during this three-month extension, taxpayers will not be subject to interest nor to penalties. But nonetheless, they are urging Americans who can file their taxes to do so on or before April 15th. Meanwhile, in the great state of Maryland, which, of course, borders Washington, D.C. on the north, along the northern borders of Washington, D.C., this nation's capital, the great state of Maryland, which touches the Atlantic seaboard, which touches the great state of Virginia. The Maryland House of Delegates. That's right, Maryland's House of Delegates, they voted overwhelmingly in favor of extending insurance coverage by government fiat Extending insurance coverage to pay for in vitro fertilization for unmarried people. Make that unmarried women, but but they make no distinction. Unmarried people. Very wise and wonderful are governments. Not to pick on Maryland, it's horrible. Their government is horrible, extreme leftist government regime in Maryland. But hey, this is the way it is in the United States of America. Shamefully, disgracefully, monstrously, immorally. Yes, in Maryland heretofore, insurance companies have not been required to offer coverage for in vitro fertilization for unmarried women. Gasp! How backwards! What dark age thinking! But now, 
the great state of Maryland, is going to require insurance companies to do this. Because it's not going to cost the state of Maryland. It's only going to cost people who pay insurance premiums, right? Let's just pass that along. Oh, we're so magnanimous. Because this fits with our new values. You see, it's not about righting wrongs. No, furthest thing from it. You wouldn't know that. The sponsors of this bill, the supporters of this bill, they say, quote, this is about justice. No. This is about injustice, obscene injustice. But (laughs) the brave new United States of America. But that quote there from Senator Shelley Hedelman, Democrat from Baltimore's county's 11th district. But what's so wrong about it, really? Every single item of the leftist agenda, all of which are embraced and supported by the Democrat Party, not just some fringe elements, not just Bernie Sanders and AOC and Ilhan Omar and all these other, no, no, not just them but by the entire Democrat Party, all of its elected politicians and so very many of its elected officials or appointed officials. They're all on board with these things. All of the sodomite agenda, all of the induced abortion agenda, All of the gender neutrality, transgender, which is, again, sodomite agenda. All of these abominations that are continually pushed by the evil party, the evil Democrat party. And which the weak Republican Party fails to stand up to more often than not. Fails to resist and oppose. There is a price to be paid for people to imagine that these so-called values, that these are an improvement over values of yesteryear, And days gone by, centuries past, they are blind and ignorant at best, and willfully so. These are not improvements. These are not enhancements. This is not enlightenment. This is not progress. These are different values, if you want to call them values. I have the same problem with the word values here as I do culture. When the term culture is applied 
to vile, lewd, profane lawlessness. That, to me, is not culture. And for me, evil so-called values are not values. But these are promoted and these are put in place. These supplant godly values, good values, moral values, not because they're preferable, not because they are righteous, but because... Their supporters are in power. Might makes right. It's all about who is in a position to wield power. But when the evil, the wicked, the corrupting ones, the corrupting influences, when they are in power, they assert evil values on all. On everyone. And that's what's been going on in the United States of America and the UK and Canada and Mexico and South America, the European Union, Scandinavia, Israel, and the rest of the world for so very long. It has not been going on in the Islamist (laughs) dictatorships the Islamist tyrannies, nor the communist ones, nor various black African dictatorships that are not Islamist. There aren't too many of those. Most of them are Islamist. But but everywhere that it can be viewed as being the free world, wherever that is, this has been going on. For a long time. And there is a price to pay for it. There is a daily, nightly price to pay for it. For this monstrous anti-morality. And it's a bloodletting. It's a judgment. A daily, nightly judgment on the nations. But ultimately, it will be an overthrowing, overflowing judgment which is coming and i (laughs) that's not according to me that's according to slightly higher authority and that is from god's word from the holy bible meanwhile in alabama alabama that backward state oh my oh they don't allow yoga instruction for kindergartners how dare they be so backwards well There's a bill before the state which would provide for yoga instruction in all of the schools from kindergarten up through high school seniors with the only proviso being that they will not say that word, namaste, and they will not chant. So what what is so bad about that word? It means I bow to you. So all of the practitioners, whether they be little children, toddlers, on up, they are bowing to, idolizing, worshiping people instead of God. It's so widespread, you'll find it on, within the, 
a great many Hallmark Channel movies. Yes, great stuff. But meanwhile, you may have heard about this new Dr. Zeus book. It's not new. Okay, Theodore Geisel, he died in 1991, and he had done the work on this, on the original manuscript of Dr. Zeus's Horse Museum, including artwork. And it was just discovered 21 years after his death, his death in 1991. And now it has been put together into a manuscript with the assistance of... A great illustrator, Australian, Andrew Joyner. And it's being released, but oh, it's being decried with the work thereof, Dr. Zeus as being racist from the enlightened people. Hmm? I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.